Wow, that's a little depressing. I don't know. <laughs> we're, we're glad that you're here with us today, and, and we are pumped about the Christmas season. One week, can you believe it? One week. Did that come fast? Did that come slow? Just right, apparently. Okay, all right, yeah, wow. Yeah, cool stuff. Uh, uh, we welcome Bloomville with us. Uh, thanks for being with us in our live feed, and we're just excited about what's going on. I, I, I hope you caught what Kendra was saying about Kalahari. I mean, this is, time is running out, so if you have a teenager, if you're a teen here, uh, you'll want to jump in. That's the best thing we do uh, for teens, and we'll really... Uh, deepen your relationship with Christ. That's what it's designed for. It's a great value, although it does cost some money, and uh, it's a great outreach event as well. So great stuff. Jump in on that, and everything is happening. Of course, next week, the the timings change. That's Christmas Eve weekend, so we we have different service times. So Saturday we have a service at 6 p.m., and then Sunday morning it's 9 a.m. And then 10.30 a.m., so that's different, different in the morning. And then we have a 4 and a 6 that afternoon and evening of Christmas Eve. So for you guys who normally come at 10, it's, it'll be at 10.30. So some of you, you'll want to delay a little bit. Some of you just keep shooting for 10 because you don't realize what happens at the beginning of our service. A guy named Zach actually comes out and talks a little bit. And we have like four songs, which you guys don't know. You know, you just come in at the last at the last half of one song, you know, so all that happens, you'll be amazed what's happening in our church service, so, so come and check that out, and I got to tell you, um, we, we also, I, I don't know if, if next weekend is super busy for you or not, but we really, really uh, want to emphasize bringing someone to grace to help celebrate the real meaning of Christmas, and we're, we're trying to pull out all the stops for next weekend and, and want to make that happen. In doing that, a lot of times we do have a lot of people from our community come out, and because of that, it creates some needs around here, and our biggest need, if you're not slammed next weekend, would be Amy could really use some help for that 6 o'clock service on Christmas Eve, and maybe the next one would be 6 o'clock service on Saturday. So those two 6 o'clock services, boy, you'd really... Uh, Really be a big help to Amy if, as you walked out, if you're available one of those times to just tell children's workers or, or sign up or just go back into the children's area and just let them know that where they have the sign-ups right here as you go to the atrium through the north. Uh, check that out. But uh, So got all that happening, but Christmas, simply Christmas, we're just trying to get back to the real meaning of Christmas. Amazing how... How skewed we can get and how, boy, how a lot of the, the original meaning of Christmas has, has been lost or veiled and, and now becoming lost at Christmas. I'd like to, to take you right back to one of our Christmas narratives in Scripture, Matthew chapter 1, and uh, read a passage of Scripture to you. So grab your Bible or your device or your phone or whatever you have the Bible on and check that out. And follow along, or you can watch on the screens. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. 
But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son and he called his name Jesus. Wow, Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. That's really the whole Christmas story, right? God came to live among us. God came and clothed himself in humanity. And, and of course, this is the birth of Jesus. And, and we have four gospel records from the first century recording eyewitness accounts of the life and times of Jesus uh, from people who saw him and knew him. And a lot of times... During Jesus' life, he kept answering this question, who are you? Who he was, that kept coming up over and over and over. Because sometimes Jesus veiled a little bit who he was. He had referred to himself as the son of man that could be taken two different ways and different things like that. And so the question kept repeating, who are you? As a matter of fact, this happens in a passage that we studied not too long ago. Is that actually in Matthew of, of few chapters later in Matthew, Matthew chapter 12, when we were in the series, Hard, Saying, Hard Sayings of Jesus, anybody remember that? Because it was not that long ago, so you should, it's just like a month ago. But anyway, Hard Sayings of Jesus, and the last one we talked about was where they accused Jesus of, of doing things through Satan's power rather than the power of God, and then Jesus talks to them about committing the unpardonable sin. And by the way, if you're worried about committing the unpardonable sin and you're bummed that you may have committed an unpardonable sin because you want to be with God, then you haven't done that. So, you know, but we're not going to teach that again. But anyway, as Jesus is talking with them, even though he's done these signs that show who he is, later at that same event, they ask again, who are you? Show us a sign. He had already been doing signs, but show us a bigger sign, a sign that can't be missed, a huge sign. Come down, you know, with a lightning bolt. And, and people do the same thing today, by the way. And I want to pick it up because what happens in this passage is Jesus actually mentions two Old Testament characters. One that we just talked about last week. Who is he? I've failed. Wow. Who? Who is he that we talked about last week, Old Testament guy? Okay, I feel way better. You helped me. I'm glad I asked again. Jonah, and, and so I'm gonna, I want to pick it up there. Matthew chapter 12. Check it out, beginning in verse 38. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation craves for a sign. And yet no sign will be given to it, but the sign of Jonah the prophet. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. 
the men of Nineveh will stand up with this generation at the judgment and will condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Now, so here Jesus, he comes up with a couple Old Testament characters. We're only talking about one today, Jonah. And he basically compares and contrasts himself with Jonah. But my question, first of all, is why Jonah? If he's going to compare himself to an Old Testament prophet, as we learned the last few weeks, last two weeks, there's some way better prophets than Jonah, right? I mean, there's Jeremiah and Isaiah and Elijah and Elisha. All these guys, way better prophets than Jonah. So why Jonah? And really, there are two primary reasons for that. One is the sign of Jonah where Jesus is saying, hey, when you kill me, three days I will be in the heart of the earth, and then I'm coming back. He's talking about the resurrection And he does this a few times, and he's saying he's coming back from the dead. So he prophesies, Jesus does, his own resurrection. But then there's a second reason. And this reason isn't so much focused on Jonah. It's focused on the people of Assyria, the people in Nineveh, the Ninevites. Because then in verse 31, Jesus says something very interesting. He says, the men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment and condemn you. And and it's like, whoa, what is that all about? You know, the men of Nineveh stand up and condemn you. And and that's what Jesus is saying is going to happen to these people. And so that's the second reason. He's saying, hey, they're saying, we only had Jonah, the people of Nineveh, and you have Jesus teaching you. We only got Jonah and we repented. You have Jesus and you're not repenting. You're not turning to God. And so that becomes a a huge deal because Jesus is telling you something greater than Jonah is here. Now, not everybody was here last couple of weeks. We talked about Jonah and that's why this is so surprising. So let me just recap it for you so don't miss that part. We talked about Jonah last two weeks. He's It's the book of Jonah. It's only four chapters long, and it's basically about this Old Testament guy. He's a prophet in Israel, and God comes to him and gives him an assignment and says, hey, go to Nineveh, which was the capital of Assyria, which were the arch enemies of Israel. He says, go to them and preach against them, and Jonah doesn't want to do it because he feels like, well, if I go preach to them, then something they might turn to God or something. Don't want that to happen. So Jonah actually goes as far the opposite direction as he could possibly go by going to a port city named Joshua, Joppa and booking passage to Tarshish, which is in Spain, which the fir- the other end of the Mediterranean Sea. So he's hightailing it opposite direction. God doesn't like that. God doesn't give up on Jonah. God doesn't just pick somebody else. God actually pursues Jonah, and he causes this huge storm to happen. The professional sailors that are on the ship that's taking Jonah across the Mediterranean, they see something special here. This storm is like no other storm, and they realize, hey, this is a God thing or the God's thing. And they start questioning, they start theologically trying to figure out what's going on here because this is not a normal storm. They come down with their idea of doing that as, well, God or the gods must be mad at somebody on this boat. So we're going to cast lots, which is a lot like drawing, drawing straws. And then everything points to Jonah and they ask Jonah, what's up? 
And then Jonah says, yeah, it's me. Like I said, I'm running from God, and he's not happy with me because he told me to do something. I didn't want to do it. And they said, well, what do we do? And Jonah says, well, just he's mad at me, so just throw me overboard, and you guys should be safe. They don't really want to do that because they're realizing, wow, this, this God has a lot of power. We're killing his guy. That might not be a good thing. But finally, they realize they have no choice. They pitch Jonah over the side of the boat. Immediately, there's calm in the sea. And just about the time they're breathing a sigh of relief, like, wow, that worked. This huge fish, boom, swallows Jonah whole. And Jonah is inside this fish for three days. It takes him back to the shores of Israel and vomits him up in Israel back where Jonah started. Then Jonah then decides that he's going to obey God, that he has no choice. And so he travels the 200 miles to Nineveh. When he gets there, he, his heart is not in it. He preaches the sermon that, that God told him to preach. It's just, in the Hebrew, it's just five words long. If you could only be so lucky. You know, five words. That's the whole sermon. It's over. Five words long, and that's it. And then, after that sermon, the people of Nineveh, from from the least to the greatest, they repent. They believe God. And they turn to God. And they say, we're sorry. We're wrong. We'll stop doing what we're doing. And they turn to God. And Jonah is ticked. He's like, I knew this was going to happen. Just kill me now because it's the last thing that he wanted to do it. To say that Jonah did not love the Ninevites would be a huge understatement, right? I mean, he hated them. He didn't want them to be saved. He wanted God to destroy them. And really, Jesus is pointing out something, I believe, about the love of God. We always say that love is action. And I've heard it said many times that the action of love could be measured in three ways. That love is basically give up, go to, and be with. When you love somebody with action, it's give up, go to, and be with. For example, you see this in motherhood. Uh, We have, Pam and I have four grandchildren under three And sometimes those kids will start crying, and you'll see typically the mom or the grandmother stop what they're doing, give up what they're doing, go to the screaming child, and then be with that child to comfort them. That's just the action of love. And if we wanted to measure love, we might measure it by this. How much are you willing to give up? How far are you willing to go? And how long are you willing to stay? If you wanted to measure love, you could measure the action of love that much. How much are you willing to give up? How far are you willing to go? And how long are you willing to stay? And I want to look at this action of love to contrast Jesus and Jonah. You see, when it comes to three days, Jesus was comparing himself to Jonah, saying they, they, they were alike. But when it comes to the response of the Ninevites and what's going to happen at judgment, Jesus is saying it's just the opposite of Jonah. He is just the opposite of Jonah. Something greater 
then Jonah is here. So first point is simply uh, what we just talked about. How much are you willing to give up? You want to measure love? How much are you willing to give up? Let's look at Jonah. How much was he willing to give up for the Ninevites? Nothing, right? He didn't give up anything. He was not about to give up anything. Didn't want to get, he didn't even, he didn't like them. He didn't love them. He didn't want anything good to happen to them. He was totally negative on them. So he, didn't, he would not lift a finger to help the Ninevites. And then what Jesus is saying is the Ninevites are going to have a completely different perspective of Jesus. You know, basically Jesus is telling these people, hey, there's going to be people at the judgment called the Ninevites. And they're going to stand up to condemn you because they're going to say, we only had Jonah and you have Jesus and you're rejecting him. That's what's going on. So what was Jesus willing to give up? Um, Well, here's what Romans 5, 6 says. Basically, Jesus gave up everything. Romans 5, 6 says, For while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. And by the way, the ungodly, that's all of us. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps, or a good man, someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. What did Jesus give up? Everything. What was he willing to give up? Everything. He gave up his life for us. And, uh, And as Jesus is talking to these people, who, by the way, the Pharisees and these people that, that Jesus is saying this to, they live strictly moral lives. But what had happened is they felt pretty good about their life, and this same thing happens today. They felt pretty good about their, that they were pretty good people. And for them, it was they followed all the rules. But what they did is they, because they were good, And because they followed the rules and they made sure that they could follow the rules by making, kind of twisting the rules a little bit, then they felt good about that. And then they reshaped God in their image. And so they carved out a religion that basically allowed them to be okay with God by what they did, by following the rules. But when they reshaped that religion... They reshaped God, and so the God they're following now is just a God of their imagination, not the true God of the Bible. And people do the same thing today. They think they live pretty good lives. God can't possibly be angry with them or mad at them or send them to hell because they're basically good people, good citizens, good neighbors. But what we people like that have done... What we've done in our culture is we've reshaped God to be a God that's okay with us earning our own salvation. But we, the God of the Bible is telling us we cannot do that under any circumstance. And that's why God had to come and die for our sins because we are not capable of doing enough good that would take our sins away. 
take our rebellion away from God. Jesus taught, and, th- and this is what the Pharisees didn't understand, it's not good people that go to heaven. It's not rule followers that go to heaven. It's not moral people that go to heaven. Good people don't go to heaven. Humble people do who know they're not moral and not good and that they are rebellers against God. Those are the people who have a chance to go to heaven. By, and, and the way they take that chance, the way they make that a reality is once they're humble is to put their faith and trust in Christ alone. Ask him for forgiveness with a desire to follow him with their life. That's the difference. So the next question of love is then not just what are you willing to give up? Jonah nothing, Jesus everything. The next question to measure love is how far are you willing to go? And we think about this with Jonah, it's almost comical, right? He's got about 200 miles to go to Nineveh. He heads about 1,000 miles the other direction, right? I mean, he, he's not just, uh, not, not only is he not willing to go that distance, he goes the other way to make sure this doesn't happen. He doesn't go anywhere. He goes as far as possible not to go near the people of Nineveh. But Christmas is all about Jesus coming an infinite distance for us as he was born as a human being. Philippians 2, chapter 5, describes it this way. It says, Philippians 2, 5 through 8, Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who... Although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped or or held on to, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is how far God was willing to go to love us. God exists eternally in heaven, in Trinity, and he mysteriously leaves his position in heaven. He voluntarily sets aside his divine, the use of his divine attributes. He comes to earth... As a human being, as as something that he created far less than God, far less than the angels. He clothed himself as a human being. And then when we think about it, it's mind-boggling because it's not just a human being. He didn't come in a palace. He's born in in a feeding trough inside a stable. He's born to, as a poor person, he came not as a king, This first time, he came as a servant. And not only did he come as a human being, and not only a poor human being, and not only to not rule, but to serve, but then he comes and allows himself to be crucified to death by his own creation in order to pay for my sins and your sins. 
How far was God willing to come? An infinite distance. How was it for eternal God to clothe himself in a human fleshly form here on this earth? And, and we, we were just talking about this in the pastor's room in the back after first service. And we were talking about how mind-boggling this is that, that even now Christ exists in human form glorified human form but he took on human form for eternity future for us that's how far Jesus was willing to come to love us there's no greater distance and then the third question if we wanted to measure love is how long are you willing to stay? Jonah, as we look at the text, again, just four chapters, it appears that Jonah was in and around Nineveh for three days. Just, just three days. And the last day or two, he was outside the city, just looking to see what would happen in the city, hoping that God would change his mind again and wipe them out. So I don't know if you count that, right? I mean, he finally goes to them and he's with them for a short time, a short sermon, and then he's out of there. Then he goes, sits on a hill outside of town, hoping that he can see God wipe them out, even though they've repented. And we compare that or contrast that with Jesus. Jesus came and he stayed with us his whole life. From birth till his crucifixion and death. And then, three days later, his resurrection. He stayed with us another 40 days. And then before he left, he said, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You see, Jesus came for his whole life. To make it possible for us to be with him forever. And he wants a relationship with us forever. So do you see what's happening here? Back to the context. Jesus is talking to the crowds. He's becoming increasingly popular. And the people in opposition to him are becoming increasingly violent. He's doing things that only basically God can do, and everybody knows it. And then these leaders who are already denying him and accusing him of being a follower of the evil one, not even a follower of God, say, give us a sign. And then he says, well, I'm going to give you a sign. I'm not going to give you a sign, but, but you will see a sign, and that will be the sign of Jonah three days. I'm going to rise again. But Knowing they won't believe, we know from first century witnesses that even though they believed he rose again because of the testimony from the Roman guards, they still suppressed that. They still didn't, it didn't matter if they had a sign. They had already made up their mind to be in opposition to him. And then he tells them, the men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment 
to condemn you. And, and he's pointing to the people who are, who's, who he's talking with to condemn you. And they will say, hold it now. We only had Jonah. Jonah hated us. We were far from God, and all we got was Jonah, who didn't even want to come, who came for one day in our city, gave us five words of a sermon. That's all we got. And you guys, you have Jesus, the author of life who created us, who loves us perfectly and forever, and he's coming, and you're rejecting him? They will stand up and condemn the Pharisees. And they will stand up and they will condemn any from our generation who reject Jesus. And when I say reject Jesus, please understand, I don't mean people that says, no, that, they're included, I don't want anything to do with Jesus. But also people who call themselves Christians. But really, God has not altered their life in any way. And they have, they have their own brand of Christianity where they are okay with God because they live a pretty good life. And even though technically they're sinners, God loves them. And so God's not going to do anything to them. And they sort of have an agreement with God that they can live their own life and everything's going to be okay. That is not what a Christian is. That, it's the type of people that Jesus would say, I never knew you. Depart from me. God loves us perfectly. He gave up for us. He came to us. And he is with us as long as we will have him. And if we put our faith in Christ alone, if we ask him for forgiveness based on what Jesus has done, he will come into our life forever. And he will never leave us. And he will never forsake us. And he will be with us from now on into eternity, future. And nothing can change that. But we have to come to him on his terms. That's what he's telling us. That's what Christmas is all about. That's the relationship that God desires from all of us. So... In just a minute, we're going to close in prayer. We're going to have an, a closing song today. Two things. If you're sitting here and you're examining your life, and I'd invite you to do that, kind of looking back at your Christianity, not just how God loves you, but are you a follower of Christ? Is he your king? Do you want, do you pursue a relationship with him? Because if you're a Christian, he will change your life from the inside out. And if you don't see those changes where you are motivated to do things just because of God, then that, that's a red flag. So the first thing is that we'd use this ending song and this theme of Christmas and God's love for us just to make sure that we've responded to his love, that we've said yes to his love, that we've put all our faith in Jesus and not our own works to be right with God and then secondly if you are a believer that we would be understanding Christ's model of love give up go to be with that that's how we would love people around us with action 
that we would inconvenience ourselves, that we would stop our normal routine, that we would go to people who are searching, that we would be with them and point them to God. And however you do that, this is, we have one week left before Christmas. Christmas is one of the best times to confront people with the love of Christ. It's the whole theme of Christmas. And whether you're using a you've been gifted card, just got a week before that makes sense anymore, or, or just however you do it, don't pass this opportunity to pray about somebody and talk to somebody and point them to God because that, if you're a believer, is your mission. And that's what next weekend is all about. So I'd like us all to stand. I'm going to pray and, and Tim's going to come out and, and lead us in, a, in an ending song. And then if you have any questions, first of all, about your salvation, if you're just wondering about that, we invite you to stop by room one. And, uh, and then also grab a card or whatever to help you do what God wants you to do as you interact with other people. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we, we thank you for your love for us and your goodness, that you loved us with action, that you, you gave up. You came to us to be with us and that you want relationship with us forever. God, we thank you for that greatest gift, that infinite gift of your son. And Father, we pray for anyone here that, that maybe they're okay with church and they would use the term Christian to apply to themselves, but, but really they've always kept you at an arm distance. And Father, actually maybe Jesus is telling us that, that they will be condemned on the day of judgment. Father, we pray that your spirit would draw them to you and, and that they would stop by room one or, or, or just figure that out, ask questions or whatever their next step is or that they would come to you. And those, for those of us, Lord, who, who know you, not because of anything good that we've done, just your grace and mercy, not that we deserve it, we totally don't deserve it, but Lord, help us to be on mission for you. Eight days until Christmas. Christmas, one of the best times to talk to people about you. Lord, help us to be on mission as a church to impact people in our area. God, give us wisdom. Give us the opportunities. Each one of us, Lord, give us opportunities to talk about you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.